Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rich Cheese Radio. It's your old buddy, Bro Namath here. And with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the Schmidt. Schmitty, what's crappin'? How's it going, my friend? Uh, pretty good. I might come off a little hoarse tonight. This is actually my third pod I'm recording since Monday. Third podcast? Bro. Yeah. Man, now I feel bad because like you're cheating on me. Who are, these <laughs> other pod, who are these other pod streamers that are taking away my bro from me? So I had Monday, I, I filled in on uh, Whiskey and Watches. Tuesday, I did Spirit of Time with the guys out in California. Tonight, I'm okay. here. So my head may explode, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, my friend. I'm glad. I'm glad that you can find time in your busy influencer schedule life to spend a little bit of time with me to talk watches. I like I to think. It. I like to think I'm the hardest working man in watch humor, to be honest. But I, with without a doubt, <laughs> I know that for a fact. I know how hard you work. I know you're a funny guy, but I do honestly know how hard you work, and and it's good to see that. So. Well, I guess uh, we'll just jump right in. I think everybody's excited for a topic tonight, right? The Grand Prix de Horologie de Genève. No, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> is that, that, is that's that not what our we're topic. covering tonight? That's not our is topic. What... <laughs> I didn't also, think so. I didn't think that was our style. I didn't think yeah. it was our thing. I also definitely butchered that. I speak like four languages. This is one, not one of them, whatever this is in. But let's just say, in passing, I don't. it's really not my style of an event. I pay very little attention but in passing i saw louis vuitton won two awards another mm. black bay variant took home something and there's mm -hmm. a little caveat that the proprietor of the global watch memes co page pointed out to be that for 700 swiss francs you can nominate yourself to be eligible for a gphd award you know i had heard about this before and 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 i'll say this i I had a, a friend who shall remain anonymous, but he is certainly uh, in the watch industry. And he was nominated at one point to be a judge for GPHG. And I was messaging about it because I was like, man, this is, this is a big deal. This is, you know, this, you deserve a lot of congratulations for this. And he's like, oh man, I'm super excited. Like I can't wait to be a judge. He gets into kind of like the explanation, like what his duties are. And he realized at that point that basically GPHG, all the brands pay to enter into the contest. So he was literally like, I'm judging brands that have paid for their own way to appear here. He goes, no, I'm out. So he literally withdrew his name from being a judge of this wow. contest because he's like, there's no, how can this be? How, how can this have any integrity? How can I have any integrity to do this? So he just dipped. So Mad kudos to that guy. He shall remain nameless. If he ever listens to this podcast, uh, maybe you'll remember who it was that uh, they had this interaction with you. But what a ridiculous competition. Every time it happens every year since that conversation with this, this person, uh, I, I don't even care because it doesn't even mean anything. It's, it's made up. It's all fairy tale land. And it's just, it's a lot in the realm of things that really don't, do it for me so i don't really pay yeah, attention exactly. to it but I, I had like probably like 10 different people tag me in a meme today and like i didn't repost any of them just because i'm like hey i'm i don't get half of these because i didn't pay attention and be like this is off brand man i'm not trying to do this so sorry yeah. to, sorry to those people but it's just it's the way it works well it's it's the hierology and it's just you know again we talked about this on episode one just not it's not our forte nothing against it nothing against uh people that are into that hey you do you boo but at the end of the day, we're here for the everyman. 
this is who we are. This is our this is our listener base. We are here for you guys. And hierology, hey, you know what? Not our thing. So that's fine. We'll let other more prolific podcasts take that over. Yeah. Uh, that aside, uh, I shipped the Oros out today, so that's cool. Oh, congratulations um, uh, to the winner. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I'm also waiting on one person to reply for a, a strap of the 10. Nine people did. Good for them. Uh, so if you donated to me, check your email. That aside, uh, a quick shout to all the bros doing Movember charity work. I know it just started, but um, if you haven't seen him yet, uh, Strap Habit, he's actually a survivor. He's doing some. Give him a quick shout out. Uh, RJ Kama, the super doc, he's doing one. And Chris hey. Mann. Chris Mann, who is, uh, you might know as Time for a Pint, he's big on men's health. Yeah, and he helped me with a lot yeah. of advice for my own, and they're all doing one, and I'm, uh, I kicked into all three of those. So yeah. support bros, they're supporting other bros, good causes and all. Absolutely. Absolutely. This could not be more important. So go out there, support these guys, follow their pages, add to their subscriptions, You know, donate money if you can, if, you're, if you feel inclined to do so, but really spread awareness. This is very important. So, yeah, and a share um, helps. If you can't donate yeah, money, absolutely. a share helps. Yeah, yeah, if you can't do it financially, you can't swing it, then then just repost it, reshare, you know, get other people aware of this thing because it really does make a big difference in somebody's life. So uh, very, very, very important. Yeah, I told people I wouldn't be hitting up them up for a Brovember donation. So <laughs> no worries there. <laughs> no Brovembers, huh? No Brovembers. That's right. Yeah, I saw your I saw your stories yeah. post not too long ago. I got a I got a quick chuckle out of that. That was funny. Uh, yeah, and lastly, I got these uh, these cool straps in. I don't know if you guys seen them on my feed yet, but they're the uh, Bon Temps bands. My, I think it was fifteen thousand follower giveaway. They catered, I guess, and they made some cool Brodinky straps. And then this time around, he wanted to do another round for twenty five. I know I'm not really close to that yet, but he did a classic Bond and then the red, green, black Bond, and they're both really nice. And so I'm gonna be wearing those around, drumming up a little hype for that giveaway coming up Hell in a few yeah. thousand Hell followers. Yeah. So expect to see plenty of those. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're at uh, yeah I'm almost you're, at twenty one. Okay, you're almost at twenty one. So we still have a few more a few more thousand followers to go. But hey, if you guys aren't already following Brodinky and your what, friends aren't already following Brodinky, what, are you, what are you doing with your orological life? You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> uh, so I guess on to the main topic. Sure. This is one I kind of came up with sort of randomly, but I was just thinking about, I don't know, a little reflective collecting. And I was trying to figure out how I got to where I am today, just taste-wise, collection-wise, and whatever else. And what I wanted to go with was sort of the watches that molded us, right? Because okay, I feel like the only way to get along in your journey is to experience watches or to aspire to own certain ones or whatever it might be you don't necessarily have to own them but yeah there are ones that will influence you one way or another and maybe you'll land on something else like maybe you love the speedy you can never afford a speedy you wind up with a belova luna pilot and you love it hey that's fine but that speedy influenced you one way or another yeah. you know what i mean so the watches that molded us and i know there's definitely a few for me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. specifically and a couple i've mentioned already but I figure we'll kick it back and forth. I know I've got a small list. I'm sure you got a couple in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, and if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just jump right into it. So for me, 
there's really kind of two watches that come to mind and, I, and I'll, t- I'll show the, I'll share the first story first and then I'll let you go. And then we can kind of kick it back over here and I'll tell my second story. But the first story really isn't like anything impactful in the world of collecting, but it's impactful for me in my own personal journey to, to collecting watches. So when I was younger, I was first kind of getting into watches. And back then I really couldn't afford anything more expensive than let's say a fossil or G shock. My price point was so abysmally poor, but I was so into watches. I knew all the brands. I was constantly reading and consuming content. I really wanted to know more. And only a few outlets existed back then where you could find that we've talked on this before, but I was really interested in watches and I remember one day um, having lunch with my godfather, who is an incredibly successful businessman, and he's done a lot of great things in his life. He's on several Fortune 500 boards around the world, not just in the U.S., and he travels all over the place. And so it's very hard to kind of track him down. But I remember when I was younger, he had kind of heard through the grapevine that I was interested in watches. And what was interesting about him and quite funny, actually, my godfather is somebody who really is all about finance and business. And he's kind of old school to the mentality that like, if it doesn't somehow yield him a return on his investment, he doesn't care about it. Okay. Which is so interesting because he has watches, but they're all fake because <laughs> for him, for it's, it's so weird. It's true. He has watches, but they're all fake because for him at least in his mindset, and this was obviously several years ago too, watches weren't really a great investment because initially you'd buy them, they were more expensive, they would lose value over time, right? Now, obviously that has changed a lot, but this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But anyway, my godfather, he grew up in Chicago and his family had always owned a jewelry store in the Chicago area. So it was kind of in the suburbs, it was a family business. It had been around for, for decades. And it was really prominent during the decades of the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. Kind of fell off a little bit in the 70s and 80s and had a little bit of resurgence, but eventually dissolved. But what was interesting is his father, who ran this store basically from when he was out of high school, he had amassed this collection of his own personal watches. And this is kind of basically the the golden era of kind of U.S. watchmaking, right? You had all these crazy cool brands. You had Bulova, Gruen, Benris, all of like these old school brands, Waltham, right? All of these American stuff. And like, this is what he used to sell. And I remember one day after our lunch meeting, he's like, hey, why don't you come back to my house? And he lived in this beautiful multi-million dollar home. And he's like, why don't you come back to my house? Take a look at, at, at the new property. He, like he built this expansion wing. He wanted me to see it. And it was really cool. He's a nice guy. But anyway, while we were there, he's like, hey, so I hear that you're interested in watches. Tell me a little bit more about this. So I start going through the explanation. I tell him kind of what I have, but I really want to know more about these brands, this, that, and the other. And he said, you know what? Hold on. I'll be right back. So he goes into his closet in his bedroom. And he pulls out, I think it was like three or four briefcases of watches. Wow. And it wasn't like a watch roll or anything like that. Like this was a suitcase type thing of watches. And inside of each one of these cases, there had to have been 50 to 60 watches each. Right. So he brings these all out. He opens them up for me and he's like, 
these were my dad's watches and I have them now, but I wanted to show them to you. What do you think? And I'm like, I'm looking through this and I'm like a kid in a candy store. There's hundreds of watches in front of me. And he starts going through all kind of the stories of how these watches came to be in the collection and the family, all this stuff. And again, these are things that he doesn't ever wear. But to him, it's a it's a celebration of his father, of the kind of past business things. And so it was a really cool thing for him to own. And so he was kind of pointing out a few different watches and there was some nicer stuff in there. There was a vintage Vacheron. There was a vintage Omega. And he's like, those are for my kids, blah, 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 blah. But he said, you know what? With the exception of these watches that he kind of points out to me as, you know, being off limits, he said, pick one. I want you to have it. And as a young person in the watch kind of enthusiast space and, you know, getting into collecting, but never really being able to afford anything. To kind of be given the golden ticket that's why to like own something was just so crazy to me. And it was it was like a weird internal struggle too, because he's like, hey, find one that you like, take it. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's not these like five, right? And I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, I don't want to shoot too low because this is a free watch, but I don't want to shoot too high because that's like insulting, right? It's I'm like, dying to know what, what like, you want. It's like, what it, what do I go with? And so I'm, you know, again, my, my, my experience with watches was, was rather limited at this point. And I'm just kind of like thumbing through this case of watches. And there's so many options, like so many different things to pick from. And I finally pick up this little tiny gold plated manual wine volcano. And for whatever reason, it wasn't even the coolest watch in this box. It just spoke to me. It just spoke to me. I still have the watch today. Is it a cricket? But it's, and that's the thing. It's not even a desirable model because it's not even a cricket. It's literally like a manual wind time and date, but no quick set date, right? Like it's, it's, it's a horrible watch. It's like the worst choice anybody (laughs) could have made. But the fact that somebody was willing to give me something truly special from their own personal collection, because I was interested in something was really empower. It was really powerful for me. And so I have this little vintage volcano. It's about 34 millimeters, 35 millimeters. It's gold plated. The plating in some areas is coming off. The original crown was, you know, missing or whatever, you know, like it was, you know, basically deteriorating all these things. And it didn't even have a strap. So I picked this up. It's literally just, I, I get this watch. I can't even wear it. Okay. Cause it doesn't even have a band to, to, to put on for me to wear, but I picked up this watch and I decided you know, like that day, like this is, this is the watch for me. I'm taking this one. He goes, perfect. I want you to have it. I want you to enjoy it. And I want you to wear it and think of me. And I said, 100%. And still to this day, you know, I don't wear it often, but at least a couple times a year for very kind of formal occasions or professional occasions, it comes out. I give it a wind. I have to, you know, manipulate the hands like crazy to set the date. But <laughs> it's it it's a really cool piece that for me is very impactful because that was my first luxury watch. And again, in the term of value and collecting, it's literally worthless. Because if you probably did a Chrono 24 search for this watch right now, it's probably $200, maybe. It's worth nothing. But to me, it's worth everything. And it really helped me to appreciate urology in a way that I had never really connected with before. It really kind of opened my eyes to, to 
what watches can mean for people. And to me, that will always be a symbol of someone's, you know, unwavering generosity and, and willingness to share in something that for most people was regarded as a very fringe thing to like. And to this day, I, you know, I, I love my godfather for it because he really did set me on a path for, for collecting and enjoying the hobby and, and being an enthusiast. So uh, shout out to you. Appreciate it. And that's cool because, like you said, you didn't go with the necessarily most expensive or prestigious watch in the cases, but I feel like it's probably maybe almost better off because it put you down a path of enjoyment as opposed to just trying to be flashy or whatever. Because I know when I first, before I knew anything about any watches and was even considering collecting them, the only thing I was concerned with was how does this appeal to other people, what I'm wearing? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of people. They would they want to know how this enhances their image. Yeah. But I think once you get past that, you wind up enjoying what you're wearing a lot more and you realize it's for you and not anybody else, which I think is tremendously important. And I think yeah. that's why we I think that's why this hobby has so much flipping and you know, in and people coming in and out of different watches all the time because at the end of the day, I, I'm not always convinced that they're buying things for themselves. You know they're not. It might just be for the gram. It might just be for, let me see who notices this out in public, or I'm going to show this off to my circle of friends. And then next thing you know, it's out the door for the next piece. Yeah. So what about you, my friend? What what was your kind of uh, first watch that, that helped shape your journey? So my break-in watch, at least the one I consider it, was a Seiko Turtle. It was a limited edition from Asia, uh, SRPB01. Okay. It was kind of like a tealish color. Had like uh, some Seattle Mariner type vibes going on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thick color combination. Um, so it wasn't the SKX or the SNK like a lot of people, but it was it was a pretty decent plunge for a first watch. It was I think six hundred bucks. Okay. And yeah, so yeah. I'm so I'm sending six hundred bucks to a guy on the forums. Don't get me wrong. He had feedback as a dealer and everything but still first timer sending 600 bucks across the world to singapore hoping to get something back and i'm just i'm convinced at this point this is 600 going right out the window that's the one yeah yeah and I'm what like, a sick what a sick watch it's a great colorway by the way yeah and and that was again me starting out i saw all these black watches navy i'm like let me get something crazy right let me let me make a splash here which is not remotely the same what I do now, which is hilarious, but so I'm waiting for this thing and it finally shows up and I really loved it. It was really cool. It gave me my first feel for, I guess, a quality watch, like something that's built well, something with some heft. But when you, when you own the department store watches, a lot of times they're quartz, a lot of times they're pretty cheap materials. They don't feel like right. much on the wrist. This had some heft to it, right? This felt like I had arrived. Solid. Yeah, I had arrived when I'm wearing it. But it had an automatic movement, so it wasn't – you had to figure out how and to a, set it. <laughs> and a day date yep. at that. So yep. it wasn't just any automatic day date, baby. And, uh, yeah, and a bracelet, nice hefty bracelet. The the pin and collars almost gave me an aneurysm first time around. <laughs> I, 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 will, I will say this. I still have not sized my Seiko Monster bracelet specifically for that reason. I'm pretty good I, at it. It's just tedious. Yeah. But even that, I mean, that bracelet alone is like kind of 
known for being kind of a bear to size. So I just, I haven't even done it. It's, it's kind of a pain in the butt, but it's a new one. But yeah, I, uh, I bent a bunch of those pins trying to, uh, you know, what happens you put them in backwards, they get stuck. And then what the hell did I know? I didn't know it was one way only. (laughs) (laughs) That, that little tiny notch is very important. That little notch is very important. And also having to figure out that you have to put the collar inside the link and then slide it through. It's, it's, it's a project. It, that, shout out to my guy, Mark at Long Island Watch, for having a video on how to do that because it got me through a lot of tough times. <laughs> my fellow Long Islander. Yes, yes, yeah. Mark is Mark is an institution. Yeah. He is certainly an institution. So that was my first. And I, you said you have two. I probably have closer to five or six. So I'm going to rattle off another one. Wow. Real quick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and they're all pretty concise. Oh, they, they really don't have a lot of stories with them, but they kind of each contribute in a different way to my orological upbringing i guess you call it okay so another one this one's pretty standard for a lot of collectors especially when you're in the affordable pool the khaki field hamilton Mm. it was just the the plain jane one with the fotina no date um great feeling watch it it taught me kind of what i like to wear in a watch it was lightweight but it was still durable. It was an easy wear. You could throw it on any strap. Yeah, it's a strap monster. Yeah, it taught me how how to pair straps, whether it be a NATO or leather or canvas, what have you. And, you know, it was a manual wand. It was my first manual watch. Yeah. And it, it just wore like a champion. And believe it or not, I wore I used to wear it at work and I used to beat the crap out of it because I was like, this is an army watch, man. Well, this needs to get beat up. So I beat it up. I put a ton of wear on it. And when, it, when I wound up selling it, the guy was like, this is actually really cool. This looks really good because it was throughout. It wasn't like when you have one giant gash on the crystal or something. This was just small right. wear throughout the whole case. And it, it did look really good. But well, it's it's like and I'll, and I'll say this as, as an aside. It's like your vintage speedy that I got yeah. the chance to take a look at in person. Like there's so many scratches and dents and dings all over that guy. But it looks so good. Yeah, the when first I, when few I, probably looked like crap, but it oh looks really God, good. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> like right now, my Speedy has like a nasty, nasty scratch uh, on the lug. And it was so funny how it happened. I was like trying to get something out of like a wooden drawer. And I'm like, oh, this won't scratch my watch. Rookie mistake. Totally scratched my watch. And it's just on one spot. And it's it's on the lug closest to me. So I always notice it when the light hits it. But like... I just keep envisioning the day that my speedy looks like your speedy. Yeah. And it's just like decades of just dents and just gouges and wear so much so that it all just like is uniform at that point. That's when, you know, a speedmaster has arrived. Like you, you, you look at the side profile of the crystal and it's like, you can see all the tiny scratches <laughs> that have like built up over time. But as soon as you look at it straight on, it's like crystal clear. That's when you know it's finally broken in. That's when your speedy is going to keep the best time. Like well, that's why it's that's why it's cool getting the Hezzy boy. You can always just poly watch it. You know, hashtag Hezzy boys. Okay, like that needs to be a thing. <laughs> it should. Hashtag Hezzy, Hezzy boys. boys is going to be a thing. We're going to make it. A thing. Uh, you know, if we if we do eventually decide to make some merch, Hezzy you gotta, boy, you guys, gotta, you guys got to let us know if you're about the hashtag Hezzy boy because we will totally make that merch shirt. I would love to do it um maybe that would we'll make, make a, it happen maybe that would we'll. make a sick like lance armstrong rubber bracelet hashtag yeah Hezzy boy. yeah totally. hashtag Hezzy boy. i'm with it okay because <laughs> like it's like now i know from all my friends that are still in the watch industry especially like in the retail spaces like sapphire versions of the moon watch are selling like three to one 
versus Hesalites, which is so crazy because back in the day, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> but it's like back in the day when I was when I was selling, like it was almost impossible to sell a Sapphire Speedmaster. Like it was sacrilegious yeah. to do it, right? And like now, everyone wants a Sapphire. I'm just like, whoa, time to totally change. And like when when I was buying my Hesalite, the guy's like, are you sure you don't want the Sapphire? I was like, yes, I am 100% sure. He's like, but you can see the movement. It's like, I get it, bro. It's a 3861. It's gorgeous on the inside, but it's not a moon watch. That's it. It's, it's only certified one way, Papa. And if it's not a Hezzy boy, with a closed case back, then it's not for me. I 100% agree. Couldn't agree more. Hashtag Hezzy Boys. Hashtag Hezzy Boys. It's a thing. Well, if, if it's not a thing, we're going to make it a yeah, thing. It's, so. Well, no, it's a thing as of now. There you go. Our, our listeners will take it and run with it. <laughs> oh, for sure. We, we have great listeners. I'm not going to make the joke that we only have three. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm grateful for all of you, but there's a good number of you. Good for you yeah. guys. And yeah. us. Thanks, thanks for hanging out with yeah, us. I thanks mean, for chilling. I, getting these numbers weekly and just seeing how many guys like actually listen to us, and actually say guys and girls, because uh, I'm sure we have some female listeners out there. And if we don't, oh, we then do. You need to tag. We do. You'll watch Lady Friends. But thank you guys for really for really doing this. It, it has been really really cool to see how many of you guys have responded uh, with some great love and everything in the comments. So sincerely appreciate it. For sure. All right, I'll give you one more before I turn it back to you. And it's yeah. another it's another affordable. It's and this one's a classic. It's the Sarb 033. This watch opened my eyes so much in the realm of price is not directly indicative of what you are getting in a watch. Mm-hmm. When I got mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and again, keep in mind, I buy a lot of pieces used, especially affordable pieces. I bought this watch for like 300 bucks. You you could have told you can't me, even touch that watch now yeah. for anything like oh man you could have told me this watch was a thousand dollars and I would have believed you. The yeah. sizing is perfect. The styling is beautiful. It's got a six R movement. I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. almost positive. Mm-hmm. You don't have to break the bank to get it, and it's it's very respectable and versatile. It's it looks great on the bracelet. Looks great on a strap. It's one of those watches that. If you run into another watch person, they will give you the nod regardless of what they're wearing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beast. I've, and and I remember I went to Atlantic City with one of my buddies and and I wore it and he was like, damn, I have to get one of those. He Watch guy also. He's like, I really have to get one of those. And I'm like, dude, it, it, you do. <laughs> it's, it's, su- it, it's such an amazing watch, especially for the money. And back then, many years ago, when these watches were basically not known outside the watch community, they were affordable like now i you know, do a google search and they're like 600 to 800 dollars for once it cost 300 bucks back in the day but it's because it was so desirable and it was such a great watch right it wasn't a seiko 5 movement it was a slightly upgraded version the finishing was fantastic the black dial was amazing yeah the script on the dial was perfect it just said seiko and automatic right like it was just a very good looking timepiece and I'm jealous that I've never owned one because so many people got the watch collecting bug with that watch. And I've seen a few in passing with different collectors. And I'm always like, again, it's the head nod type thing because you know, but I've never, I've never personally had the experience of owning that watch, but it, 
I just know from everyone that has owned it, it's just like the watch, right? It's it's giving you like Grand Seiko vibes at you know a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the cost, but still really really well made and something that can hold up its own at the at the at the next meetup. So that's that's such a cool piece. It's Certainly it's cool one piece. of those watches that, regardless of its price tag, you have a hard time not picking it up on the daily. It's yeah. that good. Yeah. And the bracelet's it's, really good. The that that Seiko bracelet is really, really good. The clasp is a like a square and it's twin trigger on each side and it it sits perfectly in the middle of your wrist and it it's yeah. so comfortable. It's a really great bracelet. So if you've never experienced one and you can find one from maybe a friend for not a crazy price, I would one hundred percent recommend picking that up. Yeah. I've never even owned the watch and I recommend it. I cannot tell you how many people that were interested in watches years ago that I send them the links for this watch, the black dial, the white dial. I was just blasting people with this thing constantly because it's just like, it is such a great watch to own. It was sporty. It was dressy. It was everything. And I've seen, uh, they have a, they have a, I knew they had a pink that I was trying to hunt down for a minute. It's yeah. The salmon, but there's also a red. I found out there was a very limited run on a red one. And I don't know if it's still on watch you seek or, uh, watch recon but it was the guy was trying to sell it for like three grand because it's crazy rare but it looked cool i just like staring at the pictures it was sick but yeah red it wasn't like some dumb mod or anything it was it was legit yeah because because i saw i heard about the pink dial relatively recently because i think if i'm not mistaken i think um oh gosh uh uncle seiko the guy who runs Uncle Seiko was yeah, like he trying posted to hunt, it recently. He was trying to hunt one down. He's like, if you guys have one of these watches, like let me know. I'll buy I'll buy it from you. This kind of this this type of thing. So I saw it and I was like, when did they make like a light salmon or a pink dial? Right. And this red one is is news to me. I yeah, I'll have to shoot you a picture when I can uh I yeah, can you will, it. you will, you will. Um so I guess in, in speaking to my, my second kind of, I don't know, exploration to the, light, the world of fine luxury watches um, is a story that, that I have about my father's timepiece. And I touched on my dad, you know, a couple episodes back and, and just kind of like his collecting journey. And as I mentioned, you know, my dad is a business guy, right? But my dad is a watch collector only so far as it's part of his like business uniform. Like he wears expensive watches. He likes them, but to him, it's a piece of the uniform. It's not like the thing to do to go to meetups and talk about watches. And it's just not what my dad does. My dad's a very simple person. It's formal wear. But what was interesting is my dad, you know, he's been relatively successful over the years in business, but my dad grew up dirt poor. And for him, owning a, a luxury watch was never even a consideration because in his world, in his immediate world, that was never something that he could see, right? He had to fight for everything that he has and he had to work really, really hard to get to where he is. And he's been able to be you know, successful and, and benefit from that. But earlier on in his career, that wasn't even a consideration. But what was really interesting, I distinctly remember the story because my dad told it to me many years ago. But... Uh, while uh, one particular year during the early 2000s, my dad was on a flight to Dubai. And what was interesting is my dad worked for a company back then 
that had just landed a government contract with the DOD to supply a certain type of food product okay. for military stationed overseas. And my dad was really the guy who like sold this contract and made it happen. And this was a huge deal for the company. It had never happened before. And it was like, we're now on the map type situation. But anyway, my dad gets called up and basically these higher ups at the DOD were like, hey, we need you to facilitate some stuff on the ground. We need you to do some training. We need you to come out to Dubai and we need you here for two and a half, three weeks. Something like that. Something crazy. Okay. So my dad hops on this flight, you know, international to Dubai. And he was telling me the story that he ends up sitting in, you know, business class because it was going to be a long flight type situation. But he ends up sitting next to this guy who coincidentally is a general manager of a watch store in Dubai. Okay. Now, my dad had never owned a luxury watch. Like, I think the most expensive watch that he had in his life up until this time was like a Quartz Seiko. You know, something like some 1970s Quartz Seiko special. Those and cool, I'm pretty you got those, those angular they, cases they, and stuff. They're yeah, pretty cool. I was like, I, I actually still have one, but uh, I have my dad's. But, but like, that was his one. Like, that was his only experience with like a nice watch, right? It was a department store special, but it was nice quality. It, it ran forever and you just changed the battery when you needed to. Like, that was his experience. So he ends up sitting next to this guy in, in business class and they're on this like super long flight to Dubai. And the guy, you know, throughout the course of the flight, kind of like, you know, taps my dad on the shoulder. Cause again, it's like, you know, multiple hours, like, what are you going to do besides, you know, read a book or, or do whatever. There's only Sleep. so many things you can do <laughs> Sleep. So he ends up talking to my dad and he's like, Hey, like, I don't want to be rude or anything, but like you're sitting in business class. You're obviously dressed very well. You look like a professional. Can I ask you a question? And my dad's like, sure. He goes, why don't you have a luxury watch on? Which is like in today's world, like, it's question. kind of an odd, it's like kind of an odd question, but my dad's like, you know, I didn't think it was weird. It just kind of like made sense, but he's like, you know, I, I really hadn't considered owning a luxury watch. I guess I just never thought about it. Right. Cause again, it was like, this was not something my dad had ever grown up with. Nobody owned a nice watch in his world. Right. So the guy kind of explains why he's asking him this question and being the kind of perpetual salesman that this dude was, he's like, Hey, I run this store in Dubai. We carry literally every luxury watch brand you could ever imagine. It was in this extremely fancy mall. And I don't know if it's still there, but it doesn't matter. He's like, if you have downtime while you're in Dubai, you should hit me up, come to the store and I'll show you some watches. So my dad's like, okay, you know, if I have time, I'll make it and make a point to go down there. And my dad being a man of his word, he had some time to kill a few days later and he ends up at this dude's store. And what was interesting is he goes through all these different watch brands and they had everything. They had Rolex, um, they had Tag, Panerai, Brightline, literally everything you could imagine. There's this giant store, but he ended up in front of the Omega case. And he, fi he finds himself looking at a bunch of different watches in the Omega case and ends up picking out a Seamaster Aquaterra. Okay. But it wasn't any standard Aquaterra. It was an Aquaterra Railmaster. Respect. Okay. Which today is kind of cool. But back then, it was like the least popular 
Omega in the entire catalog. The, like the guy told my dad, he's like, we really, we really can't give these watches away. <laughs> like they're not, they're not desirable. But for my dad, like that was what he wanted. He didn't want to watch that like was mainstream. He didn't want to watch that like people knew was a nice watch. He wanted something that it, it was really a, an internal purchase. He wanted something for himself that was going to be quality and well-built and, and be nice. But it wasn't something that everyone else around him had to know what it was. Yeah. And he ends up choosing this watch, which is so funny to me because when you look at it, it's a very you know, conservative design, very Spartan. But what's hilarious is the real master was always an anti-magnetic watch for Omega. Yes. This watch was completely not anti-magnetic. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't even have a shielding or any type of internal Faraday cage or anything like that. It's literally an exhibition case pack. No anti-magnetic protection whatsoever, but it literally was just this Railmaster design. But it was only a Railmaster in name only, which is so funny to me. But a great size at 39 millimeters, stainless steel case, stainless steel bracelet, black dial, and no date. Just like super simple, water resistant, all that good stuff. And this was the watch my dad wore for many, many, many years. And eventually, he gave it to my brother when my brother got married. But what was so impactful for me about this watch was I don't own it. But when I started my own career and I started kind of working initially in the watch industry, because that's where I really wanted to find myself. I didn't have a luxury watch. I had this little volcano that I got, but it was it's, it's a hard watch to wear. It's manual wine, really doesn't have any water resistance. You know, it's gold plating. It needed, it needed a service pad. Um, it wasn't just a practical watch for me to wear every single day. And so. What was really special to me about this watch is my brother gave it to me to wear for probably nine to 10 months Wow! until I had enough money myself to throw down and buy something that I wanted. That was actually what I would consider a daily you know, luxury purchase. So it was really special because it was something that my dad had. It was something that was given to my brother that he wore and then was eventually given to me to wear. Now my brother has it back. But it's something that like three generations of my family wore within one lifetime. That is, is sick. so it was so weird, but it's just like it's such a visceral connection to this watch. And it's not even mine. But it's one of the things that immediately connected me to Omega and, and to that brand and why today I am an Omega fan. It just it is what it is. But that watch will always have a significant impact for me and my collecting journey and, uh, and what it means to own a watch. So that's like that true, like bloodline, like the one that you hear about that nobody actually has. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's always yeah. like, Oh, this was, this was handed down, but, but, but and, and probably half the time it's BS or everybody plans to hand one down and it never happens like that. I, that right. is the real deal right there though. That that is pretty I, you know sweet. I I'd like to I'd like to think so. And that's why I wanted to share the story when you told me about the topic today. I was like, oh, do I go into the story? It sounds so cheesy, but it's it's true. It's like this watch is what made me fall in love with Omega as a brand. It's what it's it's honestly what I knew about Omega before I knew about Bond and before I knew about space. Like that is I mean, it was it. So it was my dad picking out this watch in a jewelry store from some rando he met on an airplane. Like just coincidentally it's just it it's just so weird when i think about it that it it, it, it shouldn't even have happened like it's it's like, it's like so fate. serendipitous yeah. yeah it's just so serendipitous like it's totally fate you know it, it's amazing so that's that's my that's my seminal story that's my big one
you know, I don't know how, but we always get a tearjerker in here somehow. I'm not sure. It, one way or another. It, Maybe I'm just too emotional. I don't. <laughs> I'm going to get that, uh, that Kleenex sponsorship real quick. You know, you know, get those Kleenexes ready, boys. Yeah. We're about to, we're about to tug at some heartstrings here. I, I got a few more on my list and then I'm pretty much done. One of them you've already all heard about probably ad nauseum already, but it was, it was my Pelagos I used to own. And that was my first luxury watch. Yeah. And when I picked it up, I knew it was a luxury watch. It just the feel it had. And that was what made me buy that watch. It was the first one that I felt like quality wise, it was just above and beyond. And it might have been the titanium case or the ceramic bezel. I'm not sure what it was. It had some heft to it. It was a little thick. It it felt tough as nails. And it is. It's a tough watch. But it is. You just knew holding it. It was a luxury piece. And then I wound it up and you saw it. It had a beautiful sweep to it. The loom was crazy. The bracelet, the clasp, the bezel, all top notch. The mm -hmm. vintage snowflake styling I love. And I know a lot of people don't like it, but... Everybody says, oh, well, it has square markers, and then it has these diamond-shaped snowflakes. I like it all, okay? Sue me. But that's I don't care. how it used to look. That's I don't how care. it used to look. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people, oh, well, you should have circles. Da, da. It's fine. No. I'm, a, I'm good with it the way it is. So that basically what that did was in owning that and being able to experience that watch, it opened my eyes to how great a watch could be if these – companies really put the effort in to make them what they could truly be like they mm -hmm. are so capable of making these banger watches on the regular and understandably they don't because if you put out the be all end all the rest of your catalog is never getting sold that right. or you're just gonna have a tremendous wait list for one and then people are gonna buy other ones just because they're bored but Okay. You, you yeah. never want to you never want to imbalance your catalog so badly like that where people only want this and nothing else, which is, I guess, why also Tudor just flooded the Black Bay sector. But hey, you know, they won a GPHG award. So, <laughs> you know, that, that Black Bay ceramic <laughs> is going somewhere, baby. The second uh, Master Chronometer certified watch in the world. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> I should say watch brand in the world. Yes, watch brand. There's a few There's yeah, a few brand. in that other one. I forget what it is. That other it's brand. like Omega's already made a Torbion <laughs> in Master Chronometer. But hey, you know what? Tudor's going to make a black bay in ceramic. It's like, hey, we can do this too. But yeah, no, that watch, it just felt like that watch had thought put into it. Like you ever just get watches and it doesn't matter what price it is. It's just like somebody didn't put a ton of thought into this. And I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a different example. Same, same catalog. The North Flag, if you've ever seen it, Mm -hmm. It's at first got these kind of cool explorer-ish vibes. It actually looks a lot like an old Tudor Ranger, right. not the not Ranger, yeah, the Ranger Two. It looks a lot Ranger like Two, yes, because it had the it had the integrated case and bracelet. Yeah, and it was it's a yeah. super quirky watch if you look it up. And I, I, we mm -hmm. we actually talked about this on the other pod too. But it's it's the the lesser known Tudor from the modern collection, the black sheep, <laughs> the black sheep, if you will, of the modern Tudor collection. But so this North Flag, right, integrated bracelet watch and all. But if you've ever seen it, it's got like a rubber gasket around the bezel. Mm -hmm. Kind of weird for one, but it just gives it like a cheap feel. I'm not going to lie to you. For, yeah. for an X thousand dollar watch, it, it feels cheap. 
Yeah. And what's, what's so weird about the North flag and nobody talks about it anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to dive into this because this is, this is something that I've had. It's just got discontinued. So people are talking about it. Let's go secretly. You know, it's like something I wish people would have debated many years ago, but they didn't. But what's so cool about the North flag and probably why it's going to skyrocket in value after this podcast. Cause you know, we influence the markets. Oh, for sure. Um, it was the first line to launch Tudor's manufacturer caliber, which everyone forgets. Okay. The Tudor North flag was the first watch that had a Tudor manufactured in-house movement inside of it. it. Wasn't in a black bay. It was in a North flag. And what was so weird about this watch, you know, despite the, the integrated bracelet and strap, which again, that was kind of ahead of its time. We weren't quite there yet with all the sports watches. Yeah. The cycle was kind of coming back. Um, so maybe you could say Tudor was ahead of the curve, but maybe a little bit too ahead of the, too ahead of the curve. But what was interesting is this watch had a power reserve. Yeah. Everyone forgets dial. about the power reserve on the dial. I'm like, when I saw this, I was kind of like, what is, is it, is it an Explorer's watch? Is it like a complication watch? It had a exhibition case back, if I'm not it mistaken. Did. It was, I think it's one of the only tutors, if not the I'm only, with like, the exhibition what? case This back. is literally like, and somebody got fired over this watch. Somebody <laughs> had to have lost their job at Tudor because they like, they plumped this thing out and we're just like, this, this isn't it, guys. This isn't it. This it isn't ran it. for like a few years and just kind of like faded into obscurity. And then again, it was like yellow and black. Like, and it's that like was neon yellow. Yeah, and it was like, that was the only colorway. Like, it would have been cool if it was like an all black or like a silver or blue, like something like that. Because even the Tudor Ranger 2s back in the day, they had different colored dial yeah. options. It, nowhere were they like yellow and black, <laughs> at least not to my knowledge. So I'm looking at this watch, I'm like, where does it fit? It doesn't. And that's why to this day, it's not a great selling Tudor watch. But now, since you guys know all the skinny this watch is going to be super desirable and Risk Cheese Radio is influencing the markets. You are going to see the North flag skyrocket in price point. <laughs> Who knows? It might be the next Paul Newman. It's going to happen. It'll be the, the Risk Cheese North flag instead of the Paul Newman Daytona. You know, shout out to all the boys <laughs> that want to give us free North flag. So if you got a North flag and you really don't know what to do with it, but you're not going to sell it because nobody's going to buy it, just give it to your boy, Schmidt and bro. We'll, it, we'll, we'll happily take it off your hands. Keep it as a... Uh... A mascot for the show. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the wrist cheese radio nor the flag. Oh, I'm gonna get a double stamp dial one day with that. <laughs> a double stamp dial. Oh man, what's that? What's that? Uh, that company that does the. Uh, oh gosh, they do the custom watches. That uh, they're they're on social media for watches everywhere. Bamford. No, not Bamford. It's like a. It's like an independent, like a little like micro brand. But like you pick everything. Oh, and undone. Make... Is that it? Yes, thank you. Yeah, it was like we should get some Rishi's Radio undone watches. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. We'll have to do our corporate logo and 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 get it done. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, do you have any? Do you have any more? I got stories? two more. I got two more. Okay. All right. Lay so, it on me. My next one is my Grand Seiko, and I think this one will be pretty obvious. Just looking at it. I really just, you can only appreciate kind of the excellence that goes into what they do over there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it, and I've seen a lot of the macro accounts hold them up against very high horology pieces and they stand up. Yeah. 
it just gave me a standard to hold all watches to as far as attention to detail and a, just the appreciation for how meticulously something could be made. Looking yeah. at the my dial specifically is they're all different. If you look at all the springs, they're none of them are the same. They're all different and they're they're handmade and they're just crazy. And I remember I was listening to Joe Kirk, who works for Grand Seiko one time, and he was talking about how you can tour the factory, but they will not let you near the dials. That is their bread and butter. That's their secret. That is off limits. They got some <laughs> people in the back making crazy dials, and they're not going to let you know how they make them. And I guess I can't blame them, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, but for me, it's just it's just boundary pushing as far as design and detail goes. And I just I can't fathom how people will go out and lust after oyster perpetuals and stuff when you have watches like this available in the same price range. It it doesn't make sense to me. And I understand a lot of it's snobbery and a lot of people say, well, there's still Seiko on the dial. And a lot of people say, oh, well, it's not Swiss. And I hate the bracelets, which there's a million aftermarket straps you could throw on it. I have an amazing one from D-Lugs. It's an ostrich. It goes a one on that watch. Shout out, well, hold on. Shout out to D-Lugs because his Kenny. straps are phenomenal. Yeah, he's awesome. Okay. His straps are phenomenal. So if you don't own a D-Lugs strap, go get one because they are fantastic. And anyway. You can, you, can, you can order them however you want. He has ready stock or you can pretty much make your own, which is yeah. crazy. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Him and the, and the strap tailor do, do amazing work. So yeah. I've had experience with both. Fantastic. Yeah. And I actually, I know, I know Ken, we've... uh spoken for a long time he's a real good dude over at deluxe but he's he sold me a few straps for it and they're they're all phenomenal different leathers different patterns and all that so if the bracelet is your problem there's a lot of fancy watches that don't come on bracelets no big yeah. for me yeah, yeah is it is it a it's not a bare bones bracelet it's just there's nothing over the top about it but i feel like that's what they do they don't they don't put their attention into that they put it into the actual watch head like yeah the head of that it, watch it's, is it's, insane. It's what you're actually going to enjoy. It's the movement. It's the right, dial. The it's sick. the finishing. I mean, like, ridiculous. Beautiful. So, beautiful again, watch. another one I have, I have a hard time taking off. I have a hard time not grabbing it every single day because you open the box and it's, it's glaring at you from a million different angles of light. It's and, ridiculous. And, and, it's, and it's, it's quite literally mesmerizing. Not only is like the finish quality so good on Grand Seiko's with the Zeratsu finishing, it's just insane. But especially when you do like a spring drive or you have something like that or a high beat Grand Seiko movement, they're just phenomenal to stare at. Like it is just an it enticing. Is that, that sweep it, it's is hypnotic. I mean, it's just an enticingly beautiful thing to look at. It's just, it's what I imagine the first like Bulova Accutron when somebody took that or saw it in a department store and there's like, there's no tick. It's just constantly sweeping. Like that must have been an eye-opening experience, a mind-blowing experience. And that's, that was kind of what I felt like when I saw my first Grand Seiko sweep because it really is... There's nothing like it. And it's it's hard, it's hard to fault Grand Seiko because they are such a phenomenal brand. And you know what? Screw the haters that are over like, well, it still says Seiko on the dial. I'll never wear it. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. More Grand Seikos for the rest of us that actually want to wear them. That's cool. And again, like to your point, not that we need to jump down this tangent, but so many people going after OPs. Like 
Tiffany Blue OPs for $25,000 when it's literally like a $5,000 watch when you could buy so many timepieces with that amount of money. Right, you're getting a regular old OP case with a, a matte <laughs> dial. And, and, and a no date. Put them next to each other. Oh. They don't stand up. I'm sorry. They no, don't. It, it, doesn't, it, it, doesn't doesn't even make, it doesn't even make sense. It's completely brush finished. There's hardly any polish on it. I think the only aspect is the bezel. And for what? Because it has a light blue dial that somewhat resembles the Tiffany corporate colors. I don't know how any, nobody's getting sued over this, but hey, you know what? It is what it is. And people want it. But there's so many other watches out there that are infinitely, arguably better. Can't argue with it. I can't go get a grand. Go get a grand Seiko. <laughs> go get a freaking grand Seiko. And it makes it's me, great. It's a great time. It makes me lust after trying on a Creator, which I don't know how that'll ever happen. But I, I just want to try it on. I'm never going to afford it. I just want to try it on. Yeah, but there, I, I will say this though: the Creators are so small in most cases. Like they are like dress dress watches. Oh yeah, that's the epitome of dress. Yeah, I was uh, I was in a. a, a a retailer in Dallas uh, a few weeks ago and uh, they had one in the case. It was, I, I, I couldn't tell you the model because I'm not a huge Creedor fan. Um, Cause it's not, it's not my style. It's not something that I could find myself they're wearing. They're unrealistic. You're, you, how are yeah. you, you're never going to afford one. Yeah. So <laughs> I just looked at it through the case and it was probably 37, 38 millimeters white, like Alpine white dial with blue Creedor in it, stainless, it, what looked like stainless steel. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with them other than the name. But just like out of everything there, just eye-catching. Like, I don't know why I was drawn to it because, again, it's not my thing. But it was, at that moment, it was my thing. <laughs> I, wanted, <laughs> I, I wanted to look at it more. I was like, you better not even try to ask to pull this out of the case because it's just, uh, it is well beyond your price point, son. This is above your pay grade. Yeah, this is way above my pay grade. There's just no way. I'm just like, I'm just going to let that stay nestled on its little retail pillow and I'm just not even going to try to mess with it because it's just, it's too precious. It's too beautiful. I don't even want to breathe on it. <laughs> okay, I got one more here. All right, all and right. This let's one, do it. I, I saved. Let's the, do it. I saved the juiciest one for last because I, I feel like I would I would burn the most people with this one. My last one was, I used to own a Panerai. It was a Panerai Pam five sixty. So, base Erica, style. Where are you? Base style. It had the eight day movement in it. It was very plain looking. There was no small mm -hmm. seconds. It had it was aluminum, so it had the crown guard. It was yeah. polished. Let me tell you, this was a surprisingly fun watch. I kind okay. of just jumped into it one day. I was feeling saucy. I bought it. This thing arrives. Right, it's got a couple different straps. I used to wear it on the rubber a lot. The rubber was really good, really comfortable. Yeah, Panerai makes a great rubber. So, obviously, it's a honking 44-millimeter watch. Mm -hmm, Part mm -hmm. of what this taught me was to never judge a watch by its dimensions. For being okay. a 44 millimeter watch and a thick boy, I could get away with wearing this thing. I have a almost a dead set seven inch wrist and yeah. it, it wore just fine. It was really comfortable despite the giant size. 
Obviously, mm-hmm, eight-day mm-hmm, movement mm-hmm. was really good. The loom was insane. And when you own one of these, when you first see them, they honestly all look alike. I really did not know the difference until I started looking at how the reference numbers, you know, some have small seconds at nine. So you eventually see yeah. there is a difference. Some have tobacco dials and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But you get a, a little appreciation for that. So you get an appreciation for some nuance there. And it also taught me to not let other people's opinions or the market or resale ruin your enjoyment of a watch because I really did yeah. enjoy that watch. And I, I didn't move it on until I felt like I had worn it enough that I was okay to move it. And I finally did, but I had it for years. I had it for a long time and it was really, really fun. And out of all the watches I have ever owned, so Rolex, Omega, Grand Seiko, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the most compliments ever were on that Panerai. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, it's the wrist presence, it's the the blinginess, that that achayo they call it, it's the polished steel. It mm-hmm. it catches the light. But I got a lot of attention, a lot of compliments, a lot of people. Hey, is that a Panerai? It's pretty cool. And probably the best story of this was after our season every year. So basically, my season ends in early January, and then we don't open back up until March. At the end of the season. My general manager takes us all out for a nice meal. So we're going to Luger's in New York City, right? Bunch of bros going out for steak on like a mm-hmm. two, Tuesday afternoon. How very New York of you. <laughs> right? Very billions of us. <laughs> but, but so we all go out to Luger's, right? We're going to get Porterhouse and we all got shrimp cocktail and thick cut bacon and all this ridiculous, right? We were just going all out. Yeah. So the waiter comes over and they do that table side waiter service where when you get something and it's sliced, they serve it to you off the plate. Yeah, yeah. They, they drizzle you with sauce. And I look, guy's wearing a Panerai. So he he happens to come over to me and he he drops it the steak on my plate. And I look at him and I go, hey, nice watch. And he like kind of like smirked at me and then looked down and he was like, oh, you too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he starts like, oh, let me see that. And my boss kind of just like, the hell is going on here right so finally <laughs> like, why are these two dudes sharing watches i don't yeah, know just it was a quick little interaction he goes back and then like later in the meal i think he comes back to drop off the check and he comes back and he starts asking me again like about where i got my strap and stuff and he's getting a funny look again and he and he he literally goes to my boss he goes sorry i i had a little watch crush going on I, no offense and he's he my boss was befuddled. He had no idea what the hell was going on. And meanwhile, <laughs> I was like, "This is awesome! Like, this is how so often cool." Do you get your watch noticed, let alone like somebody who is equally into it is like jumps on it. It it was really cool. It was like justification for for getting into watches in the first place. It was a really great experience. Yeah, it's like one of the only couple times it's ever happened to me, but very cool overall. But yeah, Panerai in general, even. Even clients I have at work, I've noticed somebody wearing one. Uh, I know a guy has a submersible by me, and he, mm-hmm. I just happened to comment on it one time, and he's like, yeah. It's like, it's like a Porsche. It's an unmistakable design. He's like, yeah. that's why no, I it, like it. He said, 100%. I, I can afford whatever watch I want. He said, I wear this because it's an unmistakable design. Yeah. And I was like, no, hey, it's true. I get it. It's true. It, uh, 100% I get it. I, I have a, a good collector friend of mine who's, who's owned several of them. And you're right couple things I want to make sure to reiterate. You said it correctly. You can't judge a watch by its size. Stop. 
for the love of God, <laughs> looking at specs online, okay, and determining for yourself that somehow you can't wear a timepiece. Go try it on in the boutique. Go try it on the store, the AD, whatever. Go put it on. I cannot tell you how many people I have sold moon watches to over my lifetime. They're like, I don't know. It's a 42, bro. It's kind of, it's kind of big. I'm like, 42 that wears like a 40? Are you kidding me? Come on. It has, it has pretty long lugs, but it, it wears just fine. I know I've known I haven't known anybody who's been like, damn, this speedy just wears like crap. I mean, it, again, it's just like, but that's the thing. It's like you don't know until you try that stuff on. Like now you go put on a 42 IWC yeah. or a Brightling or a Lon jeans where their lugs are like, you know, forever long. Yeah, it's probably gonna feel big. Okay. Brands are changing that because most of us don't have gargantuan sized wrists, right? This is why IWC had to make a baby pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the pilot 41. No, sir. It's the baby pilot. The medium pilot. You can't, you, you, you can't wear a big pilot, right? <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I, I think your story is correct with, with regards to Panerai because it's true. It's just like, it is such an unmistakable design. I've never owned a Panerai personally. I never really had an inkling to, but They're definitely not for everybody. No, they're not. They're not. But for me, I think if I was going to own a Panerai, I would own the same one that you owned, right? Like what they call the base, right? Like that is just, it's the unmistakable Panerai design. It's just, I think it's just hour and minute. Like there's nothing else. Two-hander and it doesn't have that that logo in the middle or anything. Yeah. It's just like there. And for me, that's just, that's just cool. It's just like quintessentially Panerai, but you know, unpopular watch opinion. You could own that watch and know what it's like to own every other Panerai. And that would be okay. Right. Like it's just, but it's just, it's such a, it's such a good design. It's hard to fault it. But the one thing I will say is Panerai kind of screwed the pooch a little bit when they started messing with the, the prices of their watches. Do you remember this, this little scandal that happened? Vaguely. So this happened several years ago, but basically what happened was Panerai was at an all-time high in terms of hotness, resellability, you know, kind of market penetration, all this stuff. And everyone was wanting to get Panerais, right? And this is kind of like the second wave of Panerai owners. Like you had the guys who were like, oh yeah, Sylvester Stallone wears one, Jason Statham, whatever. Yeah. Like those guys bought Panerais, but then it started becoming more mainstream. And so you started seeing more Panerais coming through. But where they really screwed themselves was there was kind of a, a, a market currency change um, across the different countries and essentially to stay competitive because their market prices in other countries were, were lowering themselves. They raised the prices in other markets. So they, they simultaneously devalued themselves, but increased prices. And it just like the collector community flipped. Because literally like one day to the next, you could have walked into a Panerai store and like bought a Panerai, let's say the base. And it was like $5,000, right? One day. Literally the next day was like six grand. Jeez. It was just like, like this massive nightmare. This, yeah, it was, it was a massive change. And it only happened in certain markets. But it just completely, completely caused a lot of cause for concern. Collectors were freaking out. Their value was just tanking. Everyone was selling off their pan rise and it was crazy. And then to add further insult to injury, you had our boy, Mr. Periscope 
just utterly decimate them with all of their social media nonsense and all this stuff that there's, there's somewhat kind of like these underlying little scandals. They, they don't do themselves kind of many favors, but they don't, they don't really do it. So I will say this watches aside. It's certainly a great product, certainly a great history story brand, but there's a little bit of ambiguity there as to maybe whether or not you should own one. So I'll leave that up for our listeners to decide. And if you own any Panerai's, no shade, just, Calling the facts like they are, reporting the news, if you will. So, yeah. and like I said, I enjoyed my experience very much. I wouldn't be opposed to owning another one. Just when it's time, it's time. You move it on. That's all. Yeah, I do like the I do like the new submersible forty two with the kind of like gray dial. It looks kind of like shark skin. Yeah, I think is what they call it. And it has like the blue ceramic bezel. Low key, not so low key. Like I <laughs> love that watch, and I am not a Panerai guy, but I you saw that watch. I'm like. I'm not a paneristy. I'm not cool enough to have my own collector group. Um, but man, that watch is so good. Like, it's an internal struggle. But is it like nine thousand dollars good? Because it's a it's a it's a pricey boy. Panerai's are yeah, a little, they're not a cheap. Pricey. And the, the straps aren't cheap either. Just FYI. No, 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 no. <laughs> not if you buy any quality straps. Like right. you can always find like the Chinese knockoff stuff. But who wants to put that on their eight thousand dollar watch? Uh, but I will say that uh, lug system is phenomenal. It's just a, a giant screw that comes out, slip it right back in. Strap yeah. change. No playing with spring bars, no nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Panerai. You do it right sometimes. You do it right. You, <laughs> you do it right. Sometimes you, sometimes you do it wrong. Sometimes you do it wrong. But a lot of times you do it right. You're over here pulling on this Omega guy's heartstrings and <laughs> making him want to rethink about owning this Panerai submersible. Such a good, such a good looking watch. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. But that is, that's the last one on my list. I, I don't have anything else as far as my, my watch story is concerned. I just kind of just roll with the punches. However, my tastes change where I'm going next. I'm not really sure. You know, I, I always have that. And I mentioned all the time. I always have that like impulse to like either liquidate all my expensive stuff and only own affordable stuff or liquidate all my affordable stuff and only own like two watches. So I never know what the hell I'm doing or why. It's it's a constant inter- internal struggle. It's like it is. It's honestly I, what keeps this entertaining. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have I have a buddy of mine, um, and and speaking to influencing market values, uh, I have a buddy of mine who owns a Gronefeld. Oh, nice. And and it's really great watch, but he bought it years ago. It's it's the model he has is the Principia, and I believe it's like a light like tealy blue color if i remember correctly because there was like a salmon doll version that was like really popular and then there was a blue revert like a blue doll version that was less popular and he's like yeah i just bought this watch because i wanted to have something nice i wanted to have something a little bit more hierology a little bit more of an independent type thing and he was really kind of like diversifying his collection (laughs) he's like well it seems like every time I turn around, the price of this Principia is going up. And he's like, if it hits a hundred thousand, he's like, he's like, screw it. I'm selling this piece of crap. <laughs> he's like, I never wear it. He's just like, this is, this is crazy. But that's, it's like, that's the world of collecting. It's like, it is. do we get ourselves in a situation where we're just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to just go hierology, everything. and just like ball out of control and buy these crazy expensive watches. And then you're like, well, now the market value is so high, I don't want to wear them because I don't want to devalue them. So I just need to liquidate them. And yeah, get I guess I'm going to sell them. It's just like, it's crazy. It's the constant internal struggle. So 
watch fam we are with you we battle with this daily we go just from, like you we, we we go from museum quality all the way down to shitters and we love every aspect of it so definitely we're with you we're with you yeah so on that, I think we can wrap up this episode of Rich Cheese Radio. Folks at home, thank you again for all your support, shouts, comments, and all the love so far. Schmitty, take it easy.